Starting and running a business can be exciting, but there are so many things to think about, and marketing your business effectively is one of them. One of the biggest things you have to tackle when starting your business is how you want to present your message to the world, and having a clear brand voice is part of that. Your brand is not just about your logo. It's about all the ways you convey what you're about, from the fonts you use to the tone and messaging of your copy. Explaining clearly and effectively who you are and why you're unique can set you apart from your competitors and help build your business. And sometimes the things that make you special are hard to see for yourself. That is where my friends at Pearl Consulting NYC come in. They are masters at helping small businesses and solopreneurs jumpstart their brand voice and messaging, and I am so excited to be partnering with them to share their Reveal Your Brand package with you all. Reveal Your Brand is Pearl Consulting NYC's signature program aimed at authentically uncovering your brand's voice without resorting to formulas or imitating others so you can attract the right clients for you at an affordable price. As writers, Pearl Consulting NYC focuses on voice, the words and phrases that make up a brand. So what do you get with the reveal your brand package two one-hour creative collaborative virtual sessions where the Pearl Consulting NYC team takes you through a series of questions designed to uncover what makes you and your business unique in your industry. They reveal your ideal clients and figure out who your real competitors are. A hint, you can't just find them from a Google search. Session number one focuses on revealing your brand and session number two focuses on the words you'll use to describe what you offer. Within three to five business days after the second session, Pearl Consulting NYC will create a written document clearly outlining your mission and brand voice, including taglines, tone examples, and a dictionary of brand relevant words to use in your copy. You can make up to two revisions to this document as a part of the package price. Companies spend thousands of dollars and months on their branding, but the Pearl Consulting NYC team wants this to be affordable and a quick turnaround for their clients. What a way to jumpstart your brand in the best way possible. Even more exciting, Growing Women listeners get an exclusive 10% off their Reveal Your Brand package price using the code GROWINGWOMAN at checkout. That's 10% off using the code GROWINGWOMAN in all caps, one word, at checkout. Head to pearlconsultingnyc.com slash reveal-your-brand to sign up for the Reveal Your Brand package today and get the support you need to reveal your brand's authentic voice. Again, pearlconsultingnyc.com slash reveal-your-brand. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Growing Woman. I am your host, Christina Singh, and I am just so freaking thrilled to be back. Last week, I kind of snuck a week off. I really, really needed it. 
Um, I have a baby who has just kind of been going through it, which means I've been going through it. You might hear him in the background while I'm chatting. But welcome to Growing Woman. This is a show all about amplifying and uplifting women's voices and stories. And man, oh man, this episode is just empowering. It's what I needed to hear this week. It is inspiring. And if you are a mom um, listening to this show, or you are soon to become a parent, or if you've thought about having a child, this is a fantastic episode. Because um, this week, I'm interviewing Shereen Strasberg. She's the founder, and she is the creative director of 87th Street Creative. Um, and it's a creative uh, company where she she really helps shape people's brands and designs. But Shereen actually started out as a film composer. And she realized that that career, this career she had, you know, really thought about since she was a teenager, um, didn't work well with having a family and didn't work well with... Um, work-life balance. (laughs) And so Shireen really guides us through the journey of moving from one career to another and moving into parenthood and having a family and raising small children throughout this time as well. Um, Something I really, really love about this interview is that you can see clearly that Shireen does not limit herself She also finds support in so many areas of her life. And when she wants to do something, she'll do it. I think um, I have spent so much of my life living in fear or having fear in in so many ways dictate my decisions. And so I was really inspired by Shireen and her bravery and her, um, yeah, her, her strength. So I just think you're going to love this episode and Shireen's story. And I I really think there are so many moments in this conversation that are effective tools that you can use that are great reminders and moments where we all need to pause and reflect on the support that we need in our community for parents, for moms, um, on a state and federal level when it comes to parental leave and parental support. So this episode really goes there and I'm just so, so excited for you guys to listen to it. So we're going to dive straight into this episode with Shireen. Enjoy and um, just thank you for being here. It means the world to me. All right, let's get into it. Shireen, welcome to Growing Woman. I am so, so excited to have you here. Thank you for being on the show. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to chat with you. Yeah, we were connected through Nandar, a past guest on the show. Lovely human. I've worked with her in the past. She's wonderful. And how do you know Nandar? 
Uh, through our networking group. We are both in chapter 53 of BNI, which is called Worth Waking Up For, and it definitely is. Although (laughs) she doesn't really have to wake up because she's in Switzerland. And so it's, I think, about like 2 p.m. for her, but I wake up (laughs) at 6.30 to get to the meeting, at least over Zoom. Right. We never know if she could be taking a nap though. And she's like, all right, waking up now for my my networking group. Well, welcome. Um, So, so excited to have you here. And I'm really excited that we were connected by Nandar because we have this understanding of who she is as a person and and how she connects people in in her life. And I think, you know, when I interviewed her on the show, it was really about her journey of um, meditation. It was her journey coming to finding herself and her grounding as a, as a person. And when you and I connected, there was that similar thread in your journey as well and coming to find your yourself as um, a business owner and a mom and juggling all of these things at the same time, especially during a pandemic over the past nearly two years. Like, uh, So I was really looking forward to talking to you about all of these things, because when we were chatting before this interview, um, I, I could relate to so many of the things that you were talking about in your life. So for those who do not know, you have your own creative company and you have been in business for how many years now? So it's actually almost uh, seven. Um, wow. It's actually going to be seven in January that I left my full-time job to start my company. Wow. Um, so yeah, That's it incredible. took a, yeah. I mean, and then of course it like took several months to get like the logo and the name and the website and like officially <laughs> registered in New York city. So it was, it's sort of like officially probably about six years, but, um, but yeah, I kind of left my full-time job almost seven years ago. That's incredible. I, um, on this show, I love to get into the nitty gritty of how people make those decisions and the evolution of how all of these things in our lives happen. So before you left your full-time job or before you even started your career, what were you into? How did you get into what you were into? And we can go from there into this journey of starting your own business. So what were you doing before you had your own company? Wow. Okay. So I'll take you back a little bit of a step further. Um, It is a bit of a long journey. I'll try to compress it. But I mean, basically, I was actually living in Los Angeles, working as a film composer and sound engineer. And I loved it. It was wonderful. It was a dream come true. I knew at 16, I wanted to be a film composer. And it was awesome. No work-life balance. It was really rough. I mean, basically I was up at like six in the morning to be on air by seven to basically be working at the, uh, I'm sorry, the, uh, the mixing board, um, to record for national public radio. And then I'd be home in the afternoon. I'd write music for a few hours and then I would go out at night and I would go to screenings. I would go to network with directors and producers and then wake up in the morning and start it all over again. And that was not sustainable. I think it was great in my twenties. But as I was approaching my thirties and I knew I wanted to have a family, I knew I was going to, and I wasn't even like married at the time and I was just dating, but I knew I was going to eventually want to get married and have kids. And that, that lifestyle was not sustainable. So I had to go back to school and I had to learn something else to do. So I went and I studied graphic design. Oh my gosh. Okay. So backtrack to 16 when you knew you wanted to be a composer. So what was your life? Like what got you into this? And and I mean, I'm assuming you loved films and you loved music. So what, 
what were you like back then? Yeah. I mean, I was a kid who had studied piano beginning at age five mm-hmm. and then I at age 10, I started learning flute. And then when I was 12, I started learning oboe. So I definitely loved music and was learning instruments. And I just enjoyed that. And then I started getting sort of so good at playing. I started just improvising and I was like, oh, well, cool. I want to start doing more of that. And then like, I had a music teacher once like look at what I was playing and what I was writing down on the paper. And he's like, okay, what you're playing, what you're writing, aren't the same thing. And I was like, oh, how do you learn to do that? And he's like, oh, take composition lessons. I'm like, okay. So I started taking composition lessons and, and I also really enjoyed film at this time. I mean, I loved going to the movies. There was a short period of time where I was like, oh, I want to be an actress. But then I realized like acting was not my thing. Uh, so Film scoring was kind of the 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 passion that I loved of writing music, but it, I didn't have to be worrying about stage fright and being live and performing. Um, I could be writing music in the background, and I always I didn't even want to be on set for the films that I was involved in. I always wanted to be in post production. Wow, that's so interesting. So when you started taking composition classes, what came out of you? Um, you know, when you tapped into that creativity, because it's so cool when you have somebody connect those dots for you. So what came out of you in that at that point? So a lot of it was um, really just learning the technique. So one of the things like the teacher first started me on was like, okay, I need you to only do an entire piece using like octaves. So Mm -hmm. it's like, I could only compose a melody that was with an octave. And I was like, okay, well, how is that going to sound? So it was, you know, giving me limitations and seeing how much I could push it and how much I could, you know, take a melody or harmony and create, you know, something interesting and beautiful. Um, But I think the one, one thing that I often got from people is that this, the music I was writing was very visual it's like they could picture something with it. And that's when I was like, oh yeah, film scoring is like for me, the way to go. Um, while I love writing and playing classical music and writing it, I, I just, I felt like it was never something that would just exist in a concert hall. It was something yeah. I wanted to put to a picture, to a visual medium. Oh, that's so interesting. And it's so fun how we learn and how things um blend together in our brains. And I love that you took the feedback that other people were giving you and it kind of matched up with what you were feeling and what you were seeing around you. What are some of your favorite films? Oh my gosh. Um, Oh, you're putting me on the spot. Um, (laughs) I know I would hate this question. I'm sorry. (laughs) Um, I mean, I can think of some of like my favorite like composers and the film. So um, Carter Burwell is a composer who does a lot of the Coen brothers movies. Mm -hmm. Um, So I can't even remember some of the films now, but pretty much anything he scored that they directed is amazing. Um, And I think often that relationship when there's a director and, um, and a composer that, you know, frequently work together. I think that's always really nice. And I mean, Carter Burwell was often doing, um, very unique scores. Um, I always love the idea of like, how do you, you know, say the most by talking the least. And to me, yeah. that is in music. It's like, you could have an entire orchestra, but what, would it sound like if you just had a single instrument? What would you do if you just had a few instruments? And what, what, like, how can you be powerful and, and send like a a moving message um, through just limited number of voices? Oh, I love this so much. Thomas Newman is another one. Oh my God. He wrote the, uh, the theme to the six feet under TV Mm -hmm. show. 
So that style, um, I mean, he's also done a ton of films and he did the Shawshank Redemption uh, movie. Um, but so yeah, he's another one that, again, just used sometimes piano to just tell an incredible story through yeah. just a single instrument. I love this so much. And um, I'm really curious, we hear a lot about male composers, but as a female composer, what was your experience like during that time in your life? I mean, you were learning so much and then you took it and brought it into action into a career before you pivoted. Uh, So what was that experience like being a female composer? Yeah, there were like no women. Um, I mean, it was just kind of like, this was, this has just always been my life. Like even when I was doing sound engineering, it was like, there really weren't that many women. Um, And I think it was just, that was like the world I was in, even from just being a young kid. Um, I loved sports and, you know, this is really early on in the years of like title nine, not yet taking effect. And so a lot of times, even though I was, you know, in on girls teams, you know, um, they're just, there, there was other sports. Like I loved windsurfing when I was a teenager and there weren't a lot of girls windsurfing back yeah. in the you know, eighties and nineties. Um, but I just did what I loved. It wasn't, Oh, I'm not going to do this because there aren't a lot of other girls. Um, I didn't have role models. I just followed my own feelings that I love this. I'm just going to do it and hopefully it'll be yeah. fun. <laughs> well, I really enjoy that because, um, you know, I often have a lot of fear around taking the next step for things or being the only person that may be represented in a group. And so I really enjoy you talking about, I just want to do the thing I like and having that, um, be that, you know, thread in all of your interests and moving forward. So when you, um, what was your first job in this field? Because I'm really curious, um, obviously you spent so much time in this field. So I'm really curious what that first role was like and like, how did that evolve? Um, I mean, I basically never got a job as a composer. I was always freelancing. So first it was like, okay, let me just take this, you know, short film and write music for that. And then, oh, somebody saw that. They like that. They'll hire me. And finally there's a budget. And then it just grew from there. So, so eventually I was going from short films to more feature length films And um, there was just, you know, some better opportunities, but it actually was never a job. It was always sort of more entrepreneurial or, or, you know, my business, my, it was called Sweet Notes Music because Shireen means sweet in Persian. So it was like Shireen Notes. Um, I really like that. (laughs) So, um, and I mean, look, there were jobs out there. A lot of times the way the world of film scoring works is you would be an assistant to a you know, big successful composer, or you would be an orchestrator or, you know, some sort of assistant job. And I just had no interest in that whatsoever. I didn't want to be, you know, the ghost, ghost, ghost writer of the ghost, ghost writer kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I just wanted to see my name on the screen and I wanted full control over it. And also I just wanted to be working with the directors directly instead of just like, kind of being the assistant to the assistants, you know, it's just like, yeah, it's not very much fun. Well, I think this kind of ties into the, I want to do the things I like to do (laughs) and I want to do the things that I want to do. Um, Are there any films that we might know that you worked on? 
unfortunately, probably not unless you're watching like Spike TV at four in the morning. Um, Love it. <laughs> there, there was a documentary I did called The Outdoorsman that was, uh, and again, this is like kind of not too long after like the show Survivor started, uh, but it was a bunch of guys in Oregon who would go out um, once a year and run this like competition. And it was usually involving beer and it was like hatchet throwing, drink a beer and throw another hatchet. And the director who I'd worked with on a couple other films, he brought me on as they already had somebody doing a lot of like the rock songs in the film, but I was brought in as the classical uh, film composer to do more humorous takes on it. So if like the guys were doing an egg toss, I wrote a waltz to kind of mock them a little bit as they were trying to throw <laughs> eggs and somewhat drunk. So um, that's one of the documentaries I did. And there was another documentary, I think maybe you could catch it on Netflix. It's called Small Voices. And it's actually about um, a, uh, a center in, um, in uh, oh my God, I'm going to draw a blank, um, uh, Cambodia that, um, that helps children whose parents can't care for them. And wow. sometimes they're orphans, sometimes they're not, sometimes they just don't have a support network. And it's an absolutely incredible documentary. Um, the director is amazing. I've done three films for her now. So, wow. Um, yeah. This is very fascinating to me, um, especially in the, um, when we're talking about your transition into a new career in a new life, because I'm, I would imagine that, music still plays a big role in your life and it's still around you and, and you're still immersed in it unless I'm wrong, but, um, no, is that no, the case? <laughs> yeah. And I mean, the way I see it is that like everything I did led to where I am today. Yeah. So, I mean, after graphic design, I was doing, when I studied graphic design, I then took a couple jobs in, in doing that, but then I really went into motion design, which brings every skill, every job I've had in terms of the being able to do sound mixing, being able to uh, source music and edit the music so that it you know fits with the picture. And then the graphic design, being able to illustrate and all of that. It was, it's sort of a, a talent stack uh, as, yeah. I, so I, I was always afraid that somebody would say, oh, you're a jack of all trades and a master of none. But then I heard someone else reframe it as, no, it's a talent stack. I like that much better. Ooh, I like that too. <laughs> Um, so when was the point, do you remember the moment where you, um, had that mental note of this is not sustainable in the way that I had hoped and I, I'm going to need to shift my life in some way. Do you remember that moment? Absolutely. Because it was a few hours uh, before midnight on new year's Eve. Wow. Uh, yeah. Which is a bit intense, but basically my husband, or I'm sorry, not my husband it was my fiance at the time. <laughs> so I knew I was going to be getting married and he was talking about, I think a company where they were really helpful to make sure the employees could really focus on work. So they would like pick up the dry cleaning for the employees. They would, um, you know, make a uh, flight travel arrangements for them. And I was like, wow, that's neat. Like, I like that. Um, but it was more the concept behind it that of like, you could focus on work and not be dealing with like the other stuff in life. And I never really even kind of got to that point in my life, but it was this idea that like, yeah, I want to focus on the work. I don't want to be doing all the other stuff. I don't even want to be doing all the extra meetings and stuff. And so I was like, 
yeah, I need to be doing something else. Um, and so um, I think it was this idea of like empowerment um, and, and the way this company was empowering their employees to say, we'll take care of the small stuff. You take care of the big stuff. And I was like, I want to figure out how I can do that, how I can focus on just doing the work. And, um, and it was right around the time that like the next day, January 1st, I looked up at UCLA extension to see what classes I could take in graphic design. Wow. How old were you when that happened? So I was 29, I believe, or no, I might've been, oh my gosh, no, I've been 30, 31, something like that. Early thirties. Cause I got married at 32, I think. Yeah. So <laughs> I think it's 31. I, I find this super interesting because, um, we're often told like, I mean, I think now there's a lot more conversation around pivoting, starting things new, refreshing where you are, um, in your career or making a new decision. Um, I think, uh, our parents and our grandparents were very much not of that mindset. They're very much like stick with something for 50 years and then you retire. Um, what happened when you made that decision internally, like mentally, um, when you went to go learn something new, obviously we've established you're a very determined person, which I love. Uh, so when you made that decision and that commitment to start something new, how did that change you? So one of the things that really helped when I was transitioning from working full-time, but also going to school part-time was that I had a really supportive fiance who became my husband. And I think it's so important to surround yourself with any level of support you can. And it doesn't have to be a, a, a spouse. It could be a parent. It could be a sibling. It could be a best friend. But don't be afraid to ask for help and get support where you can, because I don't think I could have gone back to school and done a business, like change careers. I mean, it's crazy to think about, but my every decision along the way was helped with the support of this. Yeah man in my life. <laughs> I, I wholeheartedly agree on having that community and finding that support system when you're changing in any way, because that's, I mean, you're opening up a very vulnerable moment in your life. You're um, opening up a moment to do something different. And there's always, I think, natural um, resistance and fear that comes with that, even if you are a very determined person. So when um how long did this process take for you to, <laughs> to change your um, career yeah. trajectory? So it was about two years of going to school at night while working full time. And um, around the end of that two years, I had an opportunity to do an internship, unpaid internship. So for three months, I worked at a, it was actually a company that is now no longer in existence, but they created the marketing campaigns for some of the biggest films in Hollywood. So like mm -hmm. they did Avatar and Watchmen and um, really amazing films. And um, I was brought on to do like the flash banners um, that would go on <laughs> websites at the time. This was like sort of the late aughts. Um, and it actually, what was really cool is they would have me also do some of the sound effects for these like flash videos. 
So it was very cool because they knew my previous career. They understood the skills I had and was bringing, but they also understood, okay, I'm still trying to get my feet wet and learn the graphics side of this. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was really nice. And then from there, I got another internship that led to my first junior position. Um, it was a social media marketing agency, which again, in like 2009 was like a big deal. Like social media marketing was kind of new. For sure. Um, so, um, so yeah, it was like making Twitter skins and Facebook widgets. Um, but they would also have me do, um, do sound effects for some of the, um, website widgets that they were making, which was very cool. I loved it. How did you find your first internship? Like, how did that come about? So the first internship I found was through the instructor I had for a class in flash at my school at UCLA extension. And it's, this harks back to like one of my biggest, like, um, things that I sort of jump on a soapbox for, which is use mentors, use teachers, like lean on them. Like they're there because they want to teach and they want to share their craft. And I just became really friendly with him. And I learned about his job and his company. And then slowly, but surely he mentioned, Oh, we actually have an internship program and there's a spot open. Would you be interested? I'm like, yeah, interested. (laughs) Um, so, um, and then, and the thing is like the next internship after that I got from like Craigslist, which again, back in like the early 2000s was like kind of a big deal. Like you would find the stuff there. Um, but I, they specifically said that one of the reasons they hired me was because I did have experience in already a previous internship, um, doing like real projects. Mm -hmm. And so it's like, all you sometimes need is like that one first thing, that first foot in the door. And a lot of times the best way to do that is through a teacher or a mentor or someone who helped you along the way in learning your craft. I completely agree. And we've talked about that on the show um, being open to the process and being open to those relationships and having conversations and being an active participant in yep. your own journey. When did you decide to start your own thing? <laughs> so this is kind of a crazy story, but I was working full-time at this point. We had moved to New York and I was working uh, full-time as a graphic designer in-house at a marketing um, department for a nonprofit. And uh, an old friend had called me up who I hadn't spoke to a year. She knew me back in the days when I was studying film scoring in graduate school, but she had seen on Facebook that I was doing graphic design. And she said, Hey, I need you to help me out. I, I need a freelancer to work on a project. And I was like, okay. So basically I was working full-time nine to five. And then I would come home, get my kids dinner and get them off to bed. And I was doing this work for her three to four hours a night, four or five days a week. And after three months of doing that, she said, what would it take for you to leave your full-time job? And I was like, "Hmm, okay, raise my hourly rate, fly me out to meet your team. They were in Colorado and let me know if I can hop on to at least two more projects. And she said, done, done, done. And I put in my, um, resignation and started my own, I, I, you know, I didn't start my own company. It was like the next month I basically was working with her almost, it was almost like I had an anchor client, Yeah, but I knew that I also needed to start getting more clients. So, um, over that year I was freelancing for them, you know, almost exclusively and then trying to drum up business and get more projects. How many children did you have at this point? <laughs> at this point I had two. So when I left the safetyness of the full-time job, I had a six month old and a three-year-old. Wow. Holy moly. 
Um, okay. That's incredible. But before then we were really starting out at the beginning of your new career. So you got married and you had a child, you had then two children. So when, when you had children, um, and you were working in this career, you moved from Los Angeles to New York, correct? Yeah. We actually moved while we were still trying to get pregnant. So, Mm -hmm. um, I ended up getting pregnant a year after we moved to New York. So I'd already gotten a full-time job in graphic design. Yeah. How did things switch in your life once you had a child and you were working in this new career? (laughs) crazy. So what happened is I got this, you know, junior or first, my first job basically in graphic design in New York city. And we got pregnant and I had the baby three weeks shy of my one year anniversary at this company, which means I didn't qualify for FMLA. And, um, no. I mean, I could sit in my soapbox for hours and talk about this. I'm actually really yep. happy that it's, I feel like it's finally becoming a much more open dialogue, like in politics. And, um, <laughs> it's uh, a very frustrating topic, um, because I don't think there's been a whole lot of growth in like, the last, I don't know, 200 years, um, let alone the last two years. Um, so, I, so basically they said to me, they're like, well, we need you back like right away. And it was like, uh, okay. And they're like, so, you know, we'll give you six weeks unpaid, of course, because I didn't have like enough vacation. <laughs> so I was like, okay, six weeks. Great. Um, okay. And then I was like, can I get a few more weeks? And they're like, well, maybe nine still unpaid. And, um, so basically I had my baby and he was a very, uh, I don't want to say he was fussy cause he wasn't colicky, but it was just, it was a struggle. Like it was a baby. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like I, you know, we struggled with getting him to latch when I was nursing Yeah, same. and then finally when he did latch, we then wouldn't, he couldn't take a bottle cause it took so long to get all these things. Um, and, uh, so at, at nine weeks, I was like, I, I, I just, I can't, I cannot, just give this baby to someone else to take care of. And I, I quit my job mm-hmm. and, um, it was, it was obviously just a mix of emotions. Like I love this little human being in my life and I want to be with him, but I also can't imagine leaving him right now and working in a job that was like, you know, not the most passionate filled job. It was good. I liked the work. I liked the people, but not enough to, to leave my, my nine week old baby. Mm-hmm. I think so, this is yeah. <laughs> something I have, I hear time and time and time again, um, when we're talking about family leave and women having children in the workplace, um, you know, there are some women who have to go back to work two weeks after giving birth. It's just, it's insane. And I could talk uh, about this <laughs> yeah, for hours as well. But um, I think what <laughs> really comes up for me is number one, anger. <laughs> when you talk about that story and this frustration, this huge frustration that women are, are being, families are being forced to choose between their career and taking care of their child when 
I just firmly believe if you give people the resources to take care of their children, they will remain so loyal to your company and not having it be after a certain amount of time, after a year, after six months, whatever, people will be so much more loyal to your work and to you. If you give them more support, I'm sure you would not have left that job if they had given you more time with your child, correct? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. No, I would, I would have stayed there um, at, at least for another year. Um, but it just, it, it wasn't, it wasn't a fit. It was not, you know, I kind of have just had to like, let it go. It was not meant to be. Mm-hmm. Um, and well, and of course what happened is then, so I was home full time, which was exhausting. So tiring. <laughs> People just do not understand. <laughs> It was harder than working. So after about like six months, after I kind of got my, my legs under me and we had like a routine and he was sleeping through the night or maybe one feeding him through the, in the middle of the night. Um, I was like, I, I think I want to go back to work. I think it'll actually be easier than taking care of my kid. Um, and I mean, you know, we had already really formed an incredibly strong bond at that point. His first word was mama. I mean, you know, it was (laughs) amazing. Um, and so I went back to work and that process was devastating because first of all, I couldn't find work for months because I was out of the workforce. And so, you know, people would see this gap on my resume and it's like, Oh, a gap. Oh my God. What did you do? And it's like, I don't know. I brought a human into the world. Um, secondly, with this, the type of work I was doing graphic design, you know, there's constantly like new updates, new software updates. And it was like, well, you know, what have you done currently? As if like, I didn't take six years off. I took six months off, whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, and then, um, and then also the interview process was really challenging for me because I didn't have like I didn't have a, a childcare center where I could say, Oh, could you just watch him for two hours while I go in and interview? And if I get the job, then maybe you can have him full time. You know, there, there wasn't an opportunity. And my husband didn't have the flexibility to just stay home for a couple hours while I went and interviewed. Yeah. And, and that was I, hard. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it sounds really frustrating and really hard. And I would also imagine that, you know, the thing that I find is, people who are not attuned or like companies that aren't attuned to having working moms um, aren't really like thinking about scheduling your interview time around that and like yeah having, like, like I have an interview those... at 7 30 at night please right <laughs> right like but I think if I was hiring someone who might be the best candidate just because I've gone through this I'd be like okay let's try it you know like I I don't know I I feel like there's just not <laughs> we're not setting up people to win <laughs> in these situations. Um, and we're, I'm, I'm sure part of you didn't feel like you could share certain elements of that, um, scheduling conflict when you were being approached for interviews, cause you just got the interview. So you're like, oh yeah, I want to make this work. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. Right. It was, there was one, one interview in particular. I'll never forget this. I did have a babysitter to watch my son while I went for the interview, except the babysitter called like an hour before the interview and said that her basement was flooding and she had to cancel. And my husband was traveling that day. So I couldn't lean on him. And she said, okay, just um, send me, send me an email with other times. Well, that day there was construction work in my building and our internet was down and I, my baby was sleeping. So I couldn't leave the bill. And I was just like, oh my God, like, like 
planets are just aligned against me. Like this job was just not meant to be. Right. Like (laughs) the roof should have just flown off of your building and swirled you into a tornado or something like, just like keep it coming. But like, I just really, um, I don't think people necessarily going back to this whole process, understand the logistics it takes um, when you are caring for a child and you are working. Um, And I also think there's really a lack of understanding um, around being at home with a child versus working. Like you were saying, it felt harder. Um, Because in my experience, when you're working, you can go to the bathroom when you want to go to the bathroom. You can eat when you want to eat. You can like go have a conversation with another person and step away for the moment. And that's just not something you can necessarily do when you're taking care of um, a child throughout the day. (laughs) What do rose quartz, jasper, calcite, and green aventurine have in common? Yes, they're all crystals, but they are all a part of Claire's crystal shop. I am so excited to be partnering with my friend Claire to shine a light on her gorgeous crystals. Claire founded her crystal shop after her own healing experience with crystals, and now she offers hundreds of them for purchase. If you've ever thought of buying a crystal like Amazonite for increased clarity or fluorite to lessen anxiety, Claire has got you covered. Along with crystals, Claire offers ritual kits, tarot cards, candles, and tons of information on her Instagram on which crystals might be the best for you. I personally have had the best experience with Claire's shop and recently have had an incredible experience with a green aventurine crystal. Literally, you guys, the second I held this crystal, I got goosebumps and I felt pulsing down my arm. And I'm a skeptic about these things sometimes. It was absolutely wild. Every time I hold this crystal now, I get the chills. So check this out. For my listeners, Claire is offering a free self-love ritual kit with the purchase of $15 or more when you type in growing woman in the notes section at checkout. Just use that note section at checkout, not the code section, and you will receive a free self-love ritual kit. So what comes in the self-love kit? A candle, a mini bag of crystals, a rose quartz crystals, a Spotify playlist, and instructions on how to set up your ritual so you can set aside some time with yourself. Head to etsy.com slash shop slash Claire's Crystal Shop to browse her beautiful collection. And you can head to the show notes to click that link as well. I truly love Claire's products and I cannot wait for you all to check out her crystals and your very own self-love ritual kit just in time for the holidays. Enjoy your crystals from Claire. You will not regret it. So obviously you found another role and you had another child. Yes, yes, Um, I did. And so I'm assuming some stability did come into your life and some more support in this area, correct? Yeah. Yeah. I was able to find a full-time job finally. Um, of course at way reduced pay that was, I took a $15,000 pay cut. Oh my um, God. Which was devastating. Um, And I was really torn about it. And again, this is where my husband really came in as a support network that basically, you know, I said to him, I'm like, I'm basically almost paying someone else to watch my kid and paying to work at this company because the cost of childcare is so high versus what I was making. And he really believed in me and was like, this job 
although the pay isn't good, the work you're going to be doing is good. And I would be learning a lot and having amazing opportunities. And so it was like, okay, I will take this job and I will grow and take it as far as I can um, and, and see what happens. And yeah. so that's, so I was there for almost two and a half years and I did have a second child and took maternity leave uh, while I was on that job and then returned. Um, and then the amazing opportunity came along to freelance and then left it to start my own company. I really um, believe in the power of networking yes. <laughs> and the power of having a strong network. And um, along with that, I, I really believe comes um, female allyship in, in this space. Like there's a lot of female allyship that I've found in networking. A lot of people that I've met who've connected me with other women. And I obviously that's how we met. And we've had, you know, this beautiful conversation around your journey. Um, and I think it's such a testament um, to networking, to female allyship that you had another woman reach out to you and ask how she could support you. Um, obviously you were supporting her, but she saw value in your work and she wanted to make sure to match the value and you asked for what you wanted and yeah. it happened. Absolutely. Um, that moment feels very like pivotal in my opinion. Was it pivotal for you? And um, where have female allies shown up in your life in in general? Sure. I mean, absolutely. It was so pivotal. Um, I mean, this friend slash client, um, I mean, I, I basically tell her she, she changed the course of my life because not only was I able to leave my job and start my own company, but because I had the flexibility then of my own company and my own hours, um, I was able to have a third child. Um, yeah. So, I mean, I don't know. That's kind of amazing. Yeah. Um, <laughs> this client, this woman has actually um, remained a client to this day. She ended up leaving the company she was at and started her own consulting business and has continued to bring me on for projects. And so absolutely female allyship for sure. Um, and she, she does not have kids of her own. And, um, but it was not, uh, you know, it wasn't about, you know, her being a fellow mom It was about just her being a fellow woman and believing um, that, you know, women can be, can be allies together. Um, and I would say absolutely for sure. There are so many women I've met along the way who have been incredible support for me. And to me, one of the best stories is once I was working full-time with like the, the one kid at, at home and then the second kid on the way, I was like, well, I want to keep improving my skills. I want to go take classes. So I enrolled in a class at NYU at night mm. and I went into this class and the woman who was there, or the, sorry, the teacher that was there was a woman, which was wonderful. And she realized that I was like six months pregnant and she was so wonderful and so helpful. Um, you know, she would like see that, like, I'm exhausted from like walking along the subway and she would just help me and make sure that I, like I had a chair to put, elevate my legs. My feet. <laughs> um, and she also had two children who were the same age as, as my first child. And so there was an instant bond. And to this day, um, um, she and I still talk regularly. She's passed projects along to me and has been such an amazing mentor. Yeah. Um, and that mentorship though, came out of like taking action. Like after I finally had the baby and finished her class, you know, six months later, I reached out to her and I was like, okay, I'm kind of back in the workforce and social, you know, and, and, you know, just kind of networking again, I'd love to hang out and have coffee. And 
She was like, okay, sure. And then that became like a monthly coffee date for a couple of years. Oh, I really love that. And I think that's a, such a testament to, like you said, taking action. Like when you see a gap or like when you see someone in need and just taking the action there to be supportive, it's not that hard (laughs) to do, but it makes such a big impact. Um, Same with, you know, obviously the, the woman who changed your career trajectory, I'm sure that came through a long-standing relationship or, or just even like you said, came out of nowhere for a long time. And she took that action yeah. to ask for, you know, ask you what you wanted and yeah. you told her what you wanted. Um, I also think this really brings up like paying people <laughs> and paying <laughs> folks for their work and their labor um, and, and giving women equal pay and, and just having that opportunity to say, how can I pay you? How can, like, what would it take for you to do these things and you not limiting that in yourself? Um, have you ever had limiting beliefs that you've had to kind of like come up against and what has that looked like for you? Oh, have I? Um, yeah, like, oh, I'm not worth that much. I shouldn't get it paid that much. Of course. I mean, absolutely. I think, and I, and I think it really stems from that. Oh, that year where I took off and then had the $15,000 pay cut. Um, I think that definitely started a lot of beliefs in myself of like, Oh, I'm not, I'm not worth as much as I used to be. And now that I'm a mom, I have other priorities. So I, I don't have as much value that I'm bringing. And, um, those were limiting beliefs that definitely kind of kept building and that, oh, well, now I have a second kid. Now my priorities are even stronger, you know, toward family and less toward my job. And, um, and it was, it was really hard. And it took a lot of years to overcome that and still overcoming it. Um, but that to me is a matter of, uh, again, surrounding yourself by a strong network. I have a really great business coach who really understands, okay, what are the negative voices in my head that we need to quiet and make non-existent and how do we, you know, how, how, you know, what sort of affirmations do I need to, to work on? You know, he helped me get like a, you know, said, well, keep like a marker board next to your sink and like write an affirmation on it so that every morning I read that while I'm brushing my teeth. And it's just reminding myself of my value and my strengths. Yeah. Well, I think it's, um, really important to have those reminders because it can be easily forgotten and we can forget that we're so capable, that we're worthy of being seen, we're worthy of being heard. And I really enjoy that you um, remind yourself of that all the time. So can you talk about what, I know we're like literally coming up on our time soon, but I can't believe that. But um, I'd love to talk about your journey with your company um, and how, um, how that evolved, because you said you were freelancing and then you just kind of evolved over the next year and you were finding clients. So, um, what lessons have you taken away from starting your company, um, and really kind of rolling into this naturally? Sure. I mean, oh my gosh, I've learned so many lessons. I mean, one of the things that, um, right off the bat was that you never know, who, 
who knows who, who know, you know, who works where. So with this anchor client that I had um, out in Colorado, there were so many employees there that ended up leaving and going to other jobs in other companies and cities and states. And a lot of times because they had worked with me at this one company, they asked me to do a freelance project for them at their new company. And so, yes, it was one client and one project that started it, but that it led to so many things. And so connect with everyone, follow up with everyone. Like you just, you never know where the next project is going to come from. Um, and that, that also goes into the networking aspect of it. Um, my biggest project this year was creating YouTube ads for Walmart for uh Walmart photo campaign that they did. And the way I got that project was through someone who visited my BNI networking group. And um, they were an Arbonne salesperson. So like selling soaps and lotion. Yeah. And they were located in Toronto, Canada, but they were visiting our chapter in New York over Zoom with the pandemic. And she, we had a, just a really great talk. I did not even buy products from her, but I thought she just had a wonderful, friendly, outgoing personality. And we just had a great call. And she said, oh, I want to introduce you to somebody who visited my chapter. And uh, she's a producer. She might have you, uh, you know, a good fit for a project that she's working on. You know, so it's like, you never know. Um who or what opportunities are out there. Yeah, 100%. Um, and I think that really goes back to how we met too, just being introduced and not really knowing. <laughs> I, I love doing this because I love that now when I see you in the future, I can say, I know your whole freaking life story. Like, <laughs> like, Isn't that fair? I don't know your entire life story. <laughs> well, that means we're just going to have to keep line. talking. Um, but yeah, I, I really love that um, journey uh, that comes with being, again, really open to the process. Um, before we wrap up, what are some lessons that, how has your life changed with your company and motherhood and being open, um, having more of an open framework for that family work life balance that is semi impossible, but at least you have an open opportunity for it. How has that changed? Yeah, it's really interesting. Um, the other day when our schools were closed for Columbus day slash indigenous people's day, um, one of the other moms I knew was like, Oh, don't you have the day off? And I was like, well, not really. Like I, there's no, there's no thing as days off. And I, I, the way I often frame it is that I'm always working and I'm never working in that I work in between the times. So sometimes it's like this week, my daughter was homesick uh, for two days. So I, I didn't work for two days. I was able to take a few calls, squeeze them in while she was napping. Um, but I'm probably going to have to work a lot more nights this week after the kids go to bed. I'll probably have to do a little work this weekend, but that's okay because I have that flexibility and that's built into my work. And I'm actually making more money than I was making as a, as a, full-time employee with no flexibility. And that's because I'm choosing my projects. I'm choosing the rates. I'm choosing my hours that I'm working. And so it means that I can go to like the Thanksgiving craft day at my kid's school or be home with a sick child. But that it also means that, okay, I might have to answer an email at 10 PM. But I'm okay with that because I know that I'm, I'm giving up, you know, some of them, some, some of the freedom, but I'm gaining so much else. Mm -hmm. 
So that's kind of how I'm managing it. I love that. And I think that, um, with that flexibility, you're choosing, you know, where to put your energy in different ways. And uh, I think it's important for people to know that that's a possibility. So uh, I do have listeners that are in, you know, this current transition. Um, what's kind of the, the advice you would give to someone who is either um, having a child and maybe they didn't have that, they don't have that opportunity of um, paid leave um, or, and they're thinking about transitioning or somebody who has a similar thread of a story to you, what sort of advice would you give them? Um, well, I think it goes back to some of the things I said about in terms of having um, a strong network and that can be anything from, you know, family or work colleagues um, or, you know, lean on your moms. I think when, when I first had my son, I joined three mom groups, like that was a little ridiculous, but I, it was obviously coming out of this urge of like needing support and needing people to lean on. And, you know, and some of the groups had working moms, some of them had stay at home moms, but it didn't matter because they, everyone was figuring things out. Um, so I would say that, you know, build up that, that support group, that support network. Um, but also be, be open to anything. Like you just don't know what opportunity is going to be there that maybe there's going to be somebody you're going to meet in that mom group who you're like, Oh, we could go into business together. Or maybe, um, there'll be just some opportunity that you don't realize is, is kind of right there. Maybe something through being a, a mom, maybe like, I know a friend who's decided to start a business of, um, helping women, um, fight for their rights in workplace, um, and working with, you know, HR companies or departments. So it's like, the, you just kind of never know, um, be open to the possibilities. Oh, I really, really love this. I feel like I've said that 50 times during our conversation, but I genuinely do. <laughs> and I would love to meet that person who's starting that business too. That's awesome. Where can people find you if they want to work with you or if they want to connect with you? Sure. Um, my website is 87streetcreative.com. So it's eight, seven, the numbers, T-H, and then street spelled out and creative.com. And click on the contact me button and let's start a conversation. <laughs> awesome. And all of that information will also be in our show notes for the episode. So make sure you're checking that out and connecting with Shireen. Oh, Shireen, thank you so much for being here. This was an awesome conversation. I'm really, really grateful for your time today. Thank you, Christina. It was so fun to talk to you. Thank you. You too. And for my listeners, don't forget your story matters and you matter. And we will see you on the next episode of Growing Woman. Thanks everyone. Growing Woman is brought to you by Amplify Her Media. Amplify Her Media is a media company dedicated to amplifying and uplifting women's voices and stories. Follow along for more at AmplifyHerMedia.com or follow along on Instagram at AmplifyHerMedia.